and welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, where we analyze, explore, and celebrate the creative journey. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and I am a working artist living outside of Boston. I've been hosting this podcast with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Shoe Balzer, since 2012. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. So I know you know the story, but everybody else may not. So I'm just going to tell it really quickly, which is years ago, I went to an intuitive painting art retreat and I had fun uh, and I hung out with some fun people and I made three big paintings, but I don't think I really like learned anything over that retreat. And I definitely didn't like anything that I made. Um, and I'm, I'm going to tell you the reason for that, which is basically the instructor shared some techniques, some art techniques. She did some demos and she told us to listen to our intuition and kind of do what felt good to us, which is advice I respect. But for three days, I kind of just did like random things to three canvases to keep busy. And I was very lost. Like, I didn't know what to do. Do you know what I mean? Like I had this whole feeling like, was my intuition broken? Cause I was like, okay, I did this technique and this technique, but where am I supposed to put anything? What am I supposed to do? Like, what am I making? You know? And so since then I've learned that it's not that my intuition was broken, um, but it simply hadn't been trained. Right. So uh, something I say to people all the time is I don't believe in intuitive art making. I do, however, believe in improvisational art making. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what the difference is. And that's a little bit about what today's podcast is about, too. Um, so intuition is a rapid judgment arrived at without the apparent intrusion of rational thought. And improvisation is based on practice and knowledge. So metaphors, because mom always teaches me to talk in metaphors, right? So your intuition may tell you to run when you see a bear, but knowledge may save your life when you know that it's a black bear. And so you need to act big and loud, you know what I mean? As opposed to a brown bear uh, where you wouldn't want to do that. You'd want to play dead. Um, so as an improvisational act in the moment, you grab a spoon and pan and start banging them over your head. So that's not random. That's based on knowledge and experience. You're making a choice, right? So design bootcamp is a workshop that I designed to help me feel like I was not broken, uh, that is designed to offer you art knowledge, right? Design Bootcamp provides you with a thorough understanding of the design elements and principles in order to help you confidently make better art. It's so that you can stop making random choices, right? When you sign up for class, which you can do at juliewalzer.com, uh, you're saying yes to knowledge-based choices. And now you don't have to believe me. Today on the podcast, we have two guests who are both design boot camp grads. And if you're worried that this podcast is going to be an advertisement for design boot camp, well, I'm going to be 100% transparent and say, yes, it is. But uh, it's also a discussion about learning the artistic journey, how artistic growth works, and an interview with two totally fabulous artists who I adore. So let's jump right in, okay? So first up is Ellen Goodlow. Hello, Ellen. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Um, and for those of you who are uh, watching on YouTube, I'm going to flash up a little bit of Ellen's work while she's talking. If you're listening to the podcast, you can head to the show page and you can see all of Ellen's beautiful work. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit of Ellen's bio and then let her tell you a little bit about herself. So um, Ellen Goodlow is a painter and not only 
does she use paints, but sometimes she incorporates textiles, threads, and papers into her creations. And she uses a variety of techniques that include printmaking and collage. She's inspired by the world around her, desiring to transform the everyday, the seemingly mundane, into the extraordinary. So Ellen lives on a lake near the ocean on the coast of Virginia in the USA with her husband, three Maine coon cats, a blind Pomeranian, and a toothless chihuahua. And I've seen her uh, house on Zoom. There are lots of art supplies there too. <laughs> so Ellen, I happen to know uh, that you said in a little bio, Sammy, you're a trained therapist. And I know from some conversations that you work for the military. And I'm wondering, uh, it seems like a lot of strands to your story. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, where you got started. And I know you come from a creative family. Yes. So, and, and I will say that one of the things that um, you were talking about in sort of the intro, where you were talking about the difference between intuitive um, painting and improvisational painting, and I'd like to kind of add to that and say informed. Mm. So, you know, I think my take on creativity is probably a little bit different. I think a lot of people think that creativity is artistic talent and that it's something that's innate and that you're born with. And I don't believe that. Um, the I think that, that engineers, architects are creative. If we hadn't had creative people figuring out how to put a wheel on a on a cart, civilization would never have gotten where it is. So I believe that learning um, and is sort of synonymous with, with creativity. Um, and that the more informed you are, the better decisions you can make. And I, I mean, that goes really with anything in life, not just art, um, but life in general. Um, so yeah, my family was very creative. My aunt was an artist um, who actually sold her art. And she went to the Sorbonne and uh, studied in France. And um, my great aunt, was also an artist and she had um, a painting, one of the, I mean, and, and I think that sort of that painting with whatever you have on whatever you have, that's what she did. And one of those paintings, it's on some kind of wood substrate and it hangs in my, uh, in my studio and we were painting and I took it down and looked at the back of it. It was in the World's Fair. Wow. I mean, I'm thinking, and this is this is a, my my great aunt who also knew Gertrude Stein and and that and and had salons and things of that ilk. So, you know, so that comes kind of sort of as part of my DNA, I'd like to say, but also part of what I was exposed to. Um, my mother loved museums. My father loved musicals. So we were always either at the theater or at a museum somewhere. And, you know, watching my mother carve things out of soap or make little sculptures out of uh, melted wax or the wax that comes off of cheese and uh -huh. all of that kind of stuff. And so there was always... 
um, inquisitiveness. If there, if there was a, a word I didn't know, look it up. I was the kid, yes, who read dictionaries and encyclopedias. Um, and I think that the interest in lots of different things informs and is reflected in my work. Um, I don't think that you have to limit yourself. Oh, I can only paint in this one media. If you are, if you have varied interests, that's going to dilute your style. No, your style is who you are. And regardless of whether you painted an oil or watercolor or collage, um, that comes through because it's who you are. And um, so, yeah, and I guess I am just inspired by the world. And that's kind of uh, my nutshell. Yeah, well, I think in a nutshell. I so I have to say so for people who weren't able to see some of the work that I flashed up, um, Ellen is definitely a painter, but she paints with more than just paint, right? She paints with a variety of different mediums, including thread and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a longtime sewist, quilter, however you want to call it as well, and mm -hmm. and I do think you know when I think of your work, a lot of what you incorporate into it is these kind of charming animal characters. Um, and they're always kind of, uh, there's something whimsical about them. There's something, I would say, almost always friendly about them. Do animals take, have a place in your life? Oh, definitely. Um, we've always had animals. Um, we had animals growing up, dogs, cats, canaries, turtles, ponies, horses. Um, so yeah, so we've, we've always had some kind of animal and guinea pigs mm. I like the soft. What do you like about painting and capturing these animals? Well, it's therapeutic for me. As, um, as you said, I am a therapist by trade and I think that, um, I've always drawn always colored, always had pencils and things like that. And, you know, when, when you had that childhood angst or whatever, and I'm creating my little scenes of things to kind of, you know, make sense of my world as I'm growing up and not really understanding kind of worlds, because it's always why this and why that, and parents don't always have the answers. So you create your answers and animals were always, always there. Um, I think that they are part of, of nature of, of sort of almost the collective unconscious in a sense. I also was thinking about how you were talking about them being like how you believe in inquisitiveness and curiosity. And so many of your um, animals to me feel like they come from a kind of inquisitive place, you know, like we're looking right now at a kind of cat laying on its back, playing with some fabric scraps, no doubt from your quilting stash. You know, and there is a kind of like playful inquisitiveness just in 
that act. And it feels like it's sort of a full circle of how you sort of see the world manifested through these animals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially cats because cats, um, are inquisitive and they're comical. They're cuddly. Uh, they're soft. I mean, I think there are a lot of characteristics that animals have that I wish more humans had. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, let's be honest, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. Uh, okay. Well, I want to bring on our next guest to talk to a little bit to her too. So, uh, this is Karen Hall and welcome Karen. So nice to see you. Um, so Karen Hall is a collage artist and a bookmaker, and I'm just going to, again, pop up a little bit of your work for those people who are watching. Um, you'll be able to see that. And for those who aren't, you'll be able to go ahead and check it out on the show page. Uh, so the tactile nature of Karin's handmade art stands in sharp contrast to her actuarial career. Uh, as a Christian, Karin uses her art to support her spiritual journey, embracing the challenge of visually representing subjects that are not inherently visual. And now a fun fact about Karin, uh, is that she asked me a question many years ago that I have dined out on, so to speak, for many years. Uh, so before the very first design boot camp, that, and, uh, and perhaps I feel like it was a defining question for me in so many ways. Um, and it's in essentials, Karin, you recall this conversation, or it wasn't a conversation, it was an email. You just said, I don't like your work. Can I still get something out of design bootcamp? And I love, I love this question. It, it has been the best question that anyone has ever asked me in the entirety of my life. Um, because the answer was yes. And I think it defines so much about the way that I teach and the way that I learn and maybe the way that you learn too which is that I don't really teach you how to make the art that I make. I teach you how to make art the way that you want to make art, which is a funny thing to say. And so I've actually, I've always been grateful for that question. I've certainly told that story a million times. And you actually emailed me uh, not that long ago when I had talked about it somewhere and kind of apologized for saying it. I had to send you an email back saying that I was in fact not upset. Uh, and that it was, in fact, a great question. Although I now have the opportunity to set the record straight because yeah. I did not, in exactly those words, in exactly that order, say I didn't like your work. I said, because I did look at the email, I said, <laughs> please don't be offended, but I don't get your work. I, you know, will I, in Design Bootcamp, learn why these things are good? <laughs> that's so funny because I a hundred percent remember it as I don't like your work. And like, that's my own like baggage of feeling that way about things. And this is such a good thing to remember that so often when people say like today, I had a comment from a woman who said, it's such a shame that you're using um, single use plastic. Cause I was showing myself wrapping up a painting to send to somebody. And I got like really hostile about it. And I just had to like check myself about it for a moment. Cause I was like, she's just going along in her day, trying to make the world a better place. It's not a personal attack on me for using, you know what I mean? And I think that that happens all the time. So I'm glad we could clear that up. Yes, yeah, right. Um, but, you know, one of the things I love about you going back to your email is I would say that's such a Karen thing to do uh, because you are so thorough. I mean, you are so thorough. I have seen you, like, when you attack a project, 
you attack it like no one I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm, I'm sort of wondering, like, does that stem from the discipline that you have had in your actuarial career? Did you, were you inspired to become an actuary because that's natural to you? Like, you're so organized. You're so disciplined. When you make a plan to make art, like I've never seen anybody absolutely like savage through their hundred day project like you have. Like, what is what's what's your secret sauce, Karen? Yeah, I'm on day three hundred and five with my hundred day project, but uh, <laughs> I've actually kind of slowed down on that lately. But uh, I don't know. You're making me want to go back earlier, and I was going to go with the bio because why did I become an actuary? Well. I was pretty good in school, and I, when I went to university, I came to the conclusion that of all the subjects I've ever had, I liked math the most because no matter how bad the teacher was, I always liked it. So I went into math and uh, sort of wandered a little bit, but ended up as an actuary simply because we had a friend of the family who was an actuary who was able to get me a job into an actuarial firm. So I became a, a pension actuary and uh, really enjoyed it. But, you know, the thing about my job that sort of uh, relates to my art is that in my job, my life was full of computers and numbers and reports and PowerPoint presentations. And the art is so tactile, right? Like it has to be handmade. And I know a lot of artists do computer type work, but I just don't want to go there because I like the fact that it's handmade and it's not on the computer. It's so different from what I used to do in my job. That doesn't mean I don't ever touch the computer anymore. Um, I definitely get pictures off the internet and print them out and stuff like that. But I really go for the tactile nature of the handmade books. And I was going to say, I, I sort of started on the art with scrapbooking because I had some friends who got me into scrapbooking. But my problem there is my husband takes so many photos that I felt overwhelmed with trying to decide which ones were worthy of being printed and scrapbooked. So I just scrapped the whole thing and did cards instead. And... Um, then I, I enjoyed the fact that the cards were handmade, but as I retired, I wanted to continue with the art. And I came across, you know, as I went through the internet, came across the concept of art journaling. I started calling what I did collage because I didn't draw. Like I actually have a brother who's a really good artist. And he said to me, since you don't like drawing, why don't you do collage? So I thought, well, that's good. He took me to a gel printing class. And I found a few other classes and online sites, including Julie's. And I also took a couple of online university courses on medieval manuscripts. And that's what sort of conceived the idea of turning my art journaling into something more like an illuminated manuscript. So that's what I really do. I'm really kind of jazzed about it. It gives a direction and a purpose to my art. And so instead of having to decide one picture at a time what I'm going to do, I'm doing a whole book even though I have to still decide one picture at a time what's going to go on that page. But I just do it for myself. Like I'm not like Ellen with a you know huge history of wonderful artists in my in my background, other than my brother who's very good. But I I just do it for myself. I enjoy the process. I enjoy the results. I do have an Instagram account, but you know, I, I'm sort of very iffy about posting to it. But the other thing I do enjoy is the art friends I've made online. And uh, that's really good. And I'll just say a bit uh, about me too is I have three kids, 
my two daughters got married about 10 years ago within a year of each other. And my first grandchild was expected two months after my retirement date. So my retirement has been much taken up with children and we still babysit one of them. We have five grandkids now and we still babysit one of them two days a week, but the others are getting into school and all the rest of it. But, uh, and my son got married this year too. So maybe I'll have more than five before I finish this uh, process. <laughs> And I know because my little guy loves trains that your husband is a train fanatic. Not. Yes, yeah. he is an absolute train nut, but uh, trains and photos. Um, although right now he's making a boat that's about wider than the computers, wider than I can show on the computer screen, uh, maybe a couple feet long. Uh, for my son's birthday. I'm not sure what my son's going to do with it, but my hus husband's having fun with it anyway, and it looks gorgeous. And I know we said that, Ellen, you're from Virginia, and Karen, you live in Canada. Yeah, Surrey, British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So we're spread all over then. Okay, great. So, you know, one of the things is I know you guys know each other's work super well because you obviously I see you in group coaching all the time. You've been in lots of classes together, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. And so I know that you have each seen this is gonna be too many each's in the sentence, I can already tell. You but have at least you're not using interesting. <laughs> That's true. I, I might. <laughs> There's still a lot of podcasts left to go. Uh, but you've each seen each other grow a lot, I think, over time and the work change, the way you talk about the work, all that kind of stuff, which is pretty exciting. So let's see if we can kind of get in a time machine and kind of go back to the beginning. Do you remember why you originally signed up for design bootcamp like what was it that made you say yes this class yes I remember this mm. so I can draw I can paint yeah um but I wanted something different I needed a kind of a refresh um I never, I didn't, I didn't go to art school. Um, I started and art history killed me on that one. I said, oh, I've got to find some other, I got to find some other thing to uh, study because mm, I guess I'm not going to get a fine arts degree. Um, anyway, I wanted to do something beyond just the strict representation no, you know, type of work. So I needed so a reboot, so to spec, so to, so to say. Um, and um, but I didn't know really where to go or how to go about it or whatever. And so, and I have taken um, your classes before, and I like your intellectual approach, um, the way you like to look at things from an informed perspective. And so I thought, hmm, you know what? Um, without good composition, yes, all the elements are pretty much the same. And, and anybody who's taken any art may have learned some of those basics. Um, but it's how you put it together um, that makes the difference and the approach to it, I think, that makes the difference. 
I agree. I mean, I think that I, so just to sort of jump on that, like when I am looking for sort of instructors that speak to me, I look for a lot of the same things that you just said, probably because I teach the way that I learn, which makes sense that I would gravitate towards that too. But yeah, I definitely am always looking for someone who like can give me the why of it so mm-hmm. I can understand the mechanics so that I can then take my own sort of step forward. So Karen, how about you? Well, I, I love learning, so I always want to learn something and um, it appealed from that point of view. But I guess I'd taken a few classes from Julie. I'd been stalking you before that. I, I, I came across you when I Googled collage artists, so that's how I started getting stuff. And I'd taken a few other online classes with other artists and, and with you, and I'd been a, a basic member for a little while. And when it come out, come out, I think the thing that really grabbed me was, uh, do you want to consistently make art that you like? And which, of course, prompted the question as to why should I like that? <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I made pictures that sometimes I liked them and sometimes I didn't and I struggled and I'd be frustrated. So I think it just seemed like a good place for me to start to do some serious study with a view to improving my artwork more consistently and my enjoyment of the process. So uh, that's kind of where I came. I, I want, I like the idea of, do you want to make it better? Can you, and consistent, and do you want to know whether you like it or not? So those yeah, are the and points. I think that, um, you know, you, you said that you had come from, a scrapbooking background. And I think that a lot of people who did come from a scrapbooking background without realizing what they were doing were using a lot of the basic concepts, um, you know, using the elements and principles, elements of art and principles of design. And um, that I, even though I can paint, I can draw something if I see it, I can paint it or draw it, but I was always struggled with putting it all together. And scrapbookers, I think, have, um, and I was never a scrapbooker. And so I, you know, felt sort of a disadvantage. And um, so... um, Well, it's ironic that you say that. I was never a good scrapbooker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say the first time I ever came across the design elements and principles was in scrapbooking because I was a scrapbooker and I read a magazine and it said you could get published. And, you know, I was like, oh, I want to get published. So I sent in my work and it didn't get accepted and it didn't get accepted and it kept not getting accepted. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I like to solve a problem if I can find a problem. So I was like, I will figure this out. And so I stumbled into a group that was going over like design principles and elements. And I was like, oh, wow, there's rules about this. There's ways that you can know where to put stuff. It's not just random. You can actually have like a formula. You can actually like, there's rules. I was like, I'm really good at rules. So all of that, right, was really enormously helpful to me. And, you know, along the way, I figured out that it's like, it's not that there's rules, but there's 
guidelines. And for someone like me who is a super control freak and desperately trying to be a recovering control freak, you know, getting a hold of those elements and principles and really understanding them made me feel for the first time like I was actually in control of the art instead of just along for the ride and not really understanding like how to end it. You know, it feels like for a long time, every piece of art I made felt like a Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skit. Like it started out strong. It had a lot of potential. There was a good premise. But then you were kind of got to the end and you were like, that's it. Like, that's the ending. Uh, so, you know, it was really good to sort of get a hold of those skills. But I think it's the same also, the difference between that um, intuitive or what a lot of people um, sort of sell as intuitive painting. I mean, obviously, you're using your intuition in every decision that you're making, but are those decisions informed decisions? Informed decisions? Um, and that's where, you know, this is giving you the framework um, to make those informed decisions so that you can rely on your intuition instead of just going in and painting, well, pick a color that you like and just do what you want. Mm -hmm. Well, if yeah, I don't I'm know gonna, where I'm going, I'm never going to get there. I'm going to pick up on that sort of control thing, though, right? Because... I think the one thing that I learned uh, was not so much how to control the process as how to be okay with reacting to what's happening on the page. And therefore, uh, because I've got this little toolkit of principles and elements of, you know, elements of art and principles of design, I can sort of look at that page and say, it needs x right it it you know if it, it, it first of all it needs x and then i look at it again and maybe it needs y and z but i can i can i'm not trying to control the process so much i'm much more able to react to what's happening but i'm also not intuitive and just like oh i feel like adding pink because that's a great color you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit like learning a new language so that when you're driving and you encounter street signs or a detour, like you can make the choice which way to go because you understand the language that they're written in instead of feeling like, oh, I don't know what to do now. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, and I think like it is that thing about working improvisationally. Improvisation is not based on nothing, right? It's based on a something. It's based on uh, planning and then there's opportunity and you sort of walk on through it. Um, and what I was going to say is that's such a good segue into talking about like, how are you different now since Design Bootcamp? Like what, what did it change for you? Well, for me, it changed that I'm actually far more often satisfied with the results because I learned that if I'm not satisfied with the results, I'm not finished. So I just need to keep going. <laughs> and I also learned that if I'm not happy with the way a piece is turning out, I've got these eight design principles. I, I just sort of run through them in my head. I have them alphabetically in my head. Memorize, sorry. Of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> it's the way I am. And I just love that tool for being able to sort of say boom, 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 you know, what what's missing here. Mm -hmm. And I find that I can you know get things back on track or at least figure out what the next step for me 
is going to be. It's not necessarily easy, but and of course it's rejects, but I feel like I have the tools to help me decide on direction and next steps. And the other thing that's different is I also spend a lot more time looking at art from other artists to see what they're doing, how they're doing it, and how I might use some of their ideas in my own work. I, I didn't really pay much attention to that. And if anybody takes a course from Julie, she just so bang, 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 this artist does this, this artist does that. And I'm always like, <laughs> lift my jaw off the ground. I, I don't know how you do it, but. Well, I mean, I have to say, like, that is one of the most exciting things that I figured out is once I got a hold of the Elements of Principles, I was like, this is like a cheat code, because now I can look at anybody's art and I can tell you why it's working, what mm -hmm. it is that they're doing. You know what I mean? It's like getting the secret key into it. And so it means that, I mean, and you know this from Steel Like an Artist, the boot camp level two class, which is that. It's like now you can take a class from Matisse without, you know, a, a heater and some serious smelling salts, right? Like now you can take a class with any artist you want, essentially, because you can look at their work. And, I, you know, I had a coaching client yesterday and there's an artist she really likes on Instagram. And I was like, well, let's take a close look. You know, let's let's look at some of his reels and a little bit of his work and then figure it out. And I was like, oh, this is how he's doing it. This is what he's doing it. I think based on what I know of your work, this is why it appeals to you. And again, it doesn't mean that you can automatically do it. It's like, you know, but you then understand what it is and you have an actual tangible goal to reach for instead of some sort of like amorphous idea of I like that. Well, and it might not be that you want to do it, whatever it is, exactly like someone else, but recognizing and learning how to look at your own art and at others' art mm -hmm. through a different eye, mm -hmm. um, you know, using a different language and recognizing what it is that you might like about someone's art that is totally not the same style or um, anything that you do, but there may be something that you like in maybe gestural quality. So you can take that and be able to incorporate it in the way you work. Um, and that's what's important so that you're not taking um, a class and making the art that the instructor is making or not looking at some of the classics because, of course, you know, that's one of the, the things that they always have you do is, okay, you know, we're going to paint this painting um, and try and figure out exactly how Renoir painted this. You know, you what colors? How did he mix his colors? How did he use his brush strokes? Or if it's pastels or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, that's not what this is about. This is about going deeper than that. Um, looking at what resonates and what does not. If it resonates, do more of it. If it doesn't, don't. Take pieces and the bits and pieces that work for you but yeah, being yeah. able to see that and figure those things out that's hard it is 
It is. It's work. And like, that's the other thing about why it's called design bootcamp. I know Karin, you're a homework lover and you, you love that there was so much work to be done. Uh, but, uh, but I always say this to people. I often say like, it's called design bootcamp and not just like elements or principles class for a reason, which is there's a lot of homework. It is a lot of work. It is not easy there. It's upsetting. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes there are things that are hard to understand. You know, I've had people go through class more than once, you know, and sometimes they don't get it until the second time through, or there's just like something about it that's not working. And I often say like your job in class, just like your job as an artist always is to take what works for you now. Right. And kind of leave the rest for later. It's just, you know, focus on what you can do. And, and, and it makes me think, so when I was in my 20s, I promise this is relevant, vaguely relevant. Uh, but when I was in my 20s, uh, I did some work for my dad, who was a management consultant. And he taught this course on personal voice to these executives from these like Fortune, you know, 100 companies. And it was fascinating because every time I used to teach this uh, section on storytelling and improvisation, right? And it's like a day or two of, you know, teaching these executives how to tell stories and how to, you know, do improvisation from a theater background, which is what I had at the time. Um, but what I really happened is over the week, because I would attend the full week every time, I kept taking this personal voice class. And I am telling you by the end of like three or four years, which is how long I did it with him, I knew so much about my voice and I understood so much. And even though it was basically the same material with small variations, obviously based on people's personalities and quirks, but like the readings that he handed out to people made sense to me differently after three years of doing it. You know what I mean? Than they did when I first started the, there were exercises. I changed what I did like a hundred times more than he ever did because I was just a little baby. And like, as I understood more about how to help them, right, I was able to change it. And I think that the wonderful thing about an art practice is that you basically do that for yourself. Once you set up your tools and your methodologies and all that kind of stuff, you're like reinforcing it over and over and over and sort of taking yourself back to the well every time to remember to like take that course again, essentially, and how to do this. And that's like you, Karen, saying that you go through the list alphabetically. Like that's what it is for you. It's like every single time you're putting yourself back through the loop to make sure that you really understand it and you get a more sophisticated understanding kind of every single time, you know? Well, and, and I think that's important because you're not stagnant. And, um, you know, I think that that's part of learning um, and and growing and changing all through your life with it, with your life and your art. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I hope as I always say, I always hope that I change because it means that, you know, something good's coming. Right. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about um, sort of the best and the worst part, or let's let's call it the best and the most difficult part. Like, what was really like the thing from Design Bootcamp that was like amazing, and the thing that was like, oh god, I don't know about this. Do you guys have things that jump right to your mind? Uh, Karen, you I, go. 
I do if, if you don't, Helen. So I, can I have two very best pieces? Of course, of course. So my first best part was um, the pre-work for Design Bootcamp 1 was to bring three pieces of your own art that you liked and three pieces that you didn't like. And this wasn't part of the homework, but as I was going through Design Bootcamp, I started taking the three pieces I didn't like and changing them into pieces I liked. And I really enjoyed that process. So here I am, you know, there's tons of, of homework and I'm doing extra, right? Sorry, that's just the way I am. Of course you are. <laughs> but um, the thing that I got out of it was it made me realize that I could improve anything. And Julie said this before in other contexts, I can't remember which, but I, I can improve something. I don't have to um, be so precious with it that I can't change something that I don't like. So I really enjoyed that. Um, but the very best part is sort of related. Uh, one day Julie was doing this demo and I'm not exactly sure why, but she's decided to paint a big red line over the whole thing. And I tried that with one of the pieces I didn't like. And it worked great. So my go-to strategy from that day forward is if things really aren't working, paint a great big red line across <laughs> the page. <laughs> Ellen wasn't in that boot camp. She was in a different one, right? So uh, she doesn't know that, that little trick. Yes. But of course, it's not about the red line. It's about doing something dramatic that changes the whole game. Not gessoing over the whole entire thing and starting again, but adding an element that makes a significant difference and then seeing where that takes you. Yeah. My gosh. Reconstructing and reconstructing. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. Yeah. It's yeah. about that contrast. You well, know, I'm all about that contrast. I love deconstructing and reconstructing. Cool. Uh, and, and what was the worst, Karen? What was the difficult part? Well, I actually, the worst and is also a best, right? Okay. So, because I was wondering if I was allowed to talk about Design Bootcamp too as well, because the best yeah. part of that was being forced to copy other artists and really identify why I like them and therefore what parts of their toolkit I wanted to add to my art. And what I really loved was how Julie had so many exercises for us to really see the other artists work. Like, you know, you had to do these four things or 10 things with, with them. You had to answer these 30 questions. And the next day there was another whole lot of exercises. And then you had to sort of write down lists of, of what you liked. And then you had to start kind of taking a step away from it to uh, make it into your art and then do Venn diagrams. And, oh, it just blows your mind how many, how many exercises. But that becomes the most difficult part because there was so much homework. It definitely was a marathon. And to really get the benefit of the class, it's so important to keep up with the homework and to come to class prepared to ask questions. Like I purposely came to class thinking, okay, what questions am I going to ask so that I can, you know, get something more out of this class? Mm -hmm. um, and then I was so relieved in one class in Design Bootcamp 2 when um, she changed the whole schedule and gave us a about three more days to do everything because it was just getting too much. There was a, there was a lot of homework. Yeah. I will say like one of the big changes that I've made to design bootcamp this year is I put some gaps in the schedule to give everybody a big pause. So I always ask for feedback after design bootcamp because I always want to make it better. And then I change it up a little bit every year to make sure that it's like the, I want to maximize it, right. To be the best that it possibly could. 
And that was definitely one of the things is a lot of people said like, you know, things came up, I lost, I fell behind the homework and I kind of couldn't get caught back up again. You know what I mean? And so i definitely have put some gaps in to try to help, try, try to help with that problem of just like life. Yeah. Cool. Ellen, how about you? So I think that the best part, well, uh, I have a couple of best parts, um, but uh, the best part was really reminding myself to think and approach my art critically. Um, but I also got, I did um, it for both, um, one and two, um, created studio notebooks. I love, I'm a studio notebook uh, person. And I, I still, to this day, refer back to both of those notebooks and look at things, you know, to help, help me answer questions or figure something out. Um, what was the most difficult? What was the worst part or the most difficult part was the, basically the same is being able to look at my art critically. Sometimes that's really hard. Not only is it hard because trying to find the answers, but it's hard because maybe you don't like the answers that you're seeing or getting. And then that means you got to do something. And um, and change can be hard. Yeah, I think you have you have to be in the mental space to be open to it. Like, I think that that's a real thing, which is sometimes you're just too fragile to feel like, you know, no, nobody's saying anything mean to you or anything like that. But you're having to look at your own work and say, like, what's wrong with this yourself? And that yeah. requires a kind of openness to right. looking and at then, your stuff. Not only what is wrong with it, being able to answer that and then do something about it. So, in you know, not be just in this pre-contemplative, contemplative, but uh, mode, but be in an action mode as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I, th I say all the time to people that, uh, you know, you can make art and make art and make art and make art and just not get any better and not understand sort of why, because you're putting in your 10,000 hours, you're doing it and doing it and doing it. But the thing is, it's kind of like as if you were just playing the same scale over and over and over again, never learning any new skills, new songs, new fingering, new, right? You're just doing the same thing over and over again. And I think like while there is a place in the world for rote, you know, practice of lots of different skills, I also think that you have to uh, analyze, you have to consider, you have to take a step back, you have to be willing to detour, to change direction, you know what I mean, to do all those kind of things. And uh, in some ways, 
This is another terrible metaphor, which I love. Maybe the title of this episode should be Terrible Metaphors. Uh, but the terrible <laughs> metaphor is that I think sometimes design bootcamp is a little bit like doing parkour, which if you're familiar with parkour, that's kind of like where they do these outside obstacle courses. So it's like familiar things you've seen, public parks, buildings, you know, office parks, like whatever else it is. And people do crazy things jumping from one rooftop to the next or like seemingly running up a building and flipping over or leaping over things that it doesn't seem like a person should leap over. And the reason they can do those things is A, they've practiced, right? They develop the skills, they have the stamina to do it and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but it really transforms how you see those spaces. And it is kind of like a leap of faith and a trust in your own abilities that you have to keep having when you do those things. Like when you ask somebody, how did you know you can make that jump? The answer is often something like, well, I had made similar jumps before, or, you know, I, I saw the jump and I thought, I, I bet I can, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's always a grain of faith. There's never an absolute conviction that you can do it. And I think that art making is very much like that, which is design bootcamp is giving you these foundations, these ideas, and then you have to take the leap. You have to jump off the building and trust that you're going to land on the next one. Because if you stand at the edge of the building, sort of staring at the next one, wishing that someone would sort of pick you up and carry you over, it's not going to happen. But Julie, you're making that sound really scary, right? Like, I also think of it kind of like a career. Because yeah. some people have a 30-year career that progresses um, forward and they gain 30 years of experience. And I had a friend at work once who said, other people have... 30 years of the same year, right? Like they do this, they never actually progress in those 30 years to beyond the skill set that they had. And I think when you're looking at your art and trying to critique it and improve it, it's, it's with that view of progressing it, not, you know, once I know how to draw a dog, I'll draw the dog over and over again, and it'll become the most perfect dog, but I never actually progress to giving the dog an expression or making him um, do anything in in the in the story of the picture or something like that so I, I think I, I the, you bring across a really good point that critiquing your own work is really really important and being able to hear other people's critiques of it and critique maybe is a bit of a harsh word but in my job nothing went out the door without it being checked by somebody else and uh, so you really had to learn to be tough that somebody else was going to check your work and their job was to find something to, to, to change, right? Because then it made them feel good, you know? So um, you, you learn to divorce yourself from the work that's in front of you and to sort of look at it objectively as if you hadn't actually done it. And I read a book recently that said, when you're doing it, have fun doing it and then a different day or a different time take a step back and do a critique because you can't be in both those head spaces at the same time yeah and I, but i think also that i think that um kind of goes to who boot camp is good for and who it might not be mm -hmm. you know i mean if you it is for anyone, whether you are a beginner or experienced, but anyone who wants to 
take their art to the next level. Yes, it's going back to the basics. So you would say, well, I'm, I'm an advanced artist. Why do I need to take this? But sometimes these reboots into that, but the, the key is that openness, recognizing that, yes, you might be looking at, some, you might open a door and it might be scary. You might not, there may be a monster. It may be the unknown. It may be black. You don't know. You're going to step out into, you know, darkness or whatever. You don't know. But have being able to have that willingness to be open and who is this not for it is the person who isn't ready for that yet mm-hmm. or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I think, too, though, if you're too much of a newbie, you haven't done enough work to be able to be frustrated with it yet because to me it was like somebody who's done enough work that they're starting to get frustrated that it's not they need to do something else to get it working right but the on the other hand say someone who has never been to art school who has never studied art you know is kind of dabbling and is new but doesn't really have a framework where to go then you're frustrated, right? So (laughs) So you just have to be frustrated. (laughs) An open, frustrated person. Yeah, but I mean, I think like, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, I've always said that I think that Design Bootcamp is for people who want more, but don't know how to get there. Want to make their work more consistent, but don't know how to get there. Want to develop a strong artistic practice, but don't know how to get there. Want to, you know, do work like other people they see making, but don't know how to get there. So it's kind of what I always, and I've, I've talked to you both about this before I know, where I've said, um, I, I teach fewer and fewer how classes how to glue paper on, how to, you know, do whatever it is. Because I feel like so much of that how content is easily found on YouTube, on a Google search. It is what it is, you know, and like basically anybody can teach you how. How is a very easy question. I'm more interested and it's more exciting to me to talk to people about why. Yes, the why. Why? Why does this work? Why doesn't it work? Why, you know, it, uh, is, is this painting so much better than this, even though they seem to both be very similar? Like, what's the difference? And then beyond the why, because if knowing is nice, the most important thing is, and what can you do about it? Right. Because that was what always frustrated me is for a period of time, I was like, I know that this isn't good. And I think it's something, but I don't know what to do about it. And, and I think like what Design Bootcamp has always been uh, intended to do is basically what it did for me, which has allowed me to look at it and say, I understand that I don't like what this is. And I think it's because there's not enough value contrast. Now I know what value is. I know what contrast is. And if I think it's that there's not enough value contrast, I can fix that very quickly. And then I can take a step back and say, now that I've changed the value contrast, what else is wrong or what else is bugging me about it? And, and I think like that is so exciting. So I, um, I was talking to a woman today, I had a meeting about uh, a class that uh, I'm going to be teaching later this fall. And 
she was asking me about sort of like what I have coming up. And I was like, oh, design bootcamp is about to start. And she's like, oh yeah, that's a class that you teach every year. Like, and she was just saying something. And I said, you know, she said, what, why do you keep teaching it? And I said, you know, this is going to sound like the most selfish thing on earth, but I am a selfish creature. I said, I love teaching design bootcamp, not only because of what the students get out of it, but I get so much out of it because every time I go through it, every time I have to break down and teach these principles and these elements, every time I have to talk to people about that, light bulbs go off in my own head. So it's actually like the most wonderful time of year for me because I feel like I go back through that loop and all of a sudden my work is better my process is easier because i'm reminded of all of those rules or guidelines and how helpful you know they can be which is exciting yeah um so i i know so when karen was saying that I was making it really scary i was very much reminded of in group coaching where um several of you told me that i was very bad at talking about my practical color uh, for painters class. And then I am not always good about talking about my own classes. I don't seem to be able to explain them particularly well for some reason, which is fascinating to me because I feel like I'm generally good at breaking ideas down. Um, but uh, if you had sort of any way that you would describe design boot camp to somebody else, like what it, what is the, what is the quick description of what it is? Well, you didn't allow me to prepare for that question, Julie, so that is not a fair question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I am always going by the seat of the pants, so I'll jump in here. Okay. Um, it is a way to ex give you the framework and the guidelines to explore and refine your work and to have a vocabulary so that you can look at your art and others from a more informed and critical standpoint. Okay, Ellen. so fewer words. Um, <laughs> I, this may scare people, but I would put it like a uh, art 101 type class, you know, sort of a, uh, not a high level university class, but a basic university class in art. It's not like kindergarten art or, or, um, but you know, so it would be university level. It doesn't mean you have to be a university level person to do it, but it's, it's a, um, I guess when I think of 101, I think of it's going to cover all the basics. It's going to give you a really good uh, overview of, of things. You might need to take more time to learn more in depth as you go forward, but you'll, you'll have the, the overview so that you know where to go from there. Um, not that I disagreed with anything Ellen said, but that's my description. <laughs> Those are both great descriptions clearly better than i have ever done so thank you very much uh mom you've been very silent on this podcast probably because you've never been through design boot camp but do you have any thoughts after hearing the conversation questions uh one of them is what is obviously somebody could sign up for private coaching or something and then have a one-on-one -on -one experience with you but i would like to know what the alchemy is of having the group 
what you get out of it, both contributing to it and having them talk about your art. I think a lot of people are frightened when they hear that other people are going to critique their art. Yeah, I don't think – critique is not – Not the right word? Well, well no. I think people use critique incorrectly. I think critique scare the, – the word scares people. And in and of itself, it is an evaluation. Or a reaction. Be a negative. But I do think that um, it – It's not recorded mm -hmm. so that people can feel safe to be vulnerable. Um, and there's something in the community. Um, it's a very small group. It's limited in size um, so that everybody has, um, has enough time to process um, their own part and um, but also have the support because you're all doing the same thing but with ex you know infinitely different outcomes and it's it's not critique in that okay these are the five things that are wrong with it it's like hey I see some really good use of this shape and you're um, using value differently and like there's positive things uh, all over the place that are probably more there that um, you get reinforced but what you we're teaching up, each other yeah yeah and I find it really valuable to listen to the reactions to somebody else's piece of art because I learn so much about what's being said about somebody else's piece of art too. So I think that's the biggest thing um, for the design boot camp or a group coaching versus an individual coaching is you get to sit back and look at somebody else's and and say to yourself, why do I like it or or what's bugging me about it or what do I see in it that maybe nobody else has seen you know like I see we had one in fruit coaching I see bumblebees right and so she got rid of the bumblebees because she didn't want bumblebees <laughs> in that particular shape but I just wanted to mention too because you've kind of brought it up the other real benefit I got out particularly of design boot camp too was a really nice group of online art friends like we stay in touch year and a half later and because most of us are part of the super learner group as well, I get to see them all on group coaching once a month. So I really enjoyable and valuable discussions. And um, even better when I got to meet everybody in person last September at, a, at an in-person class too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say like, it makes me think a little bit about how we were talking about how vulnerable you have to be sometimes to critique your own work. But the benefit of being in a group setting is that it's somewhat less personal than to look at somebody else's work and say, oh, I can see in their work how they could be using contrast more effectively. Now let me look at my work where it's harder to have that same dispassionate eye and say, could I be using contrast more effectively then? I will say that I have been very lucky, knock on everything wood, in the years that I have taught design bootcamp, and I've never had a mean student. 
everybody who's ever been through has been lovely, supportive, positive, you know, incredibly encouraging towards other people. And often when people are like, I hate this, I'm struggling. They're like, I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing, you know, and they're the first ones to tell you, you know, all the ways in which you've done a good job when you sort of lost the thread, so to speak. So I, I think the community is enormously supportive. So let me ask you, you, Julie, oh, I noticed that, it, well, in the last few months, you've gone through a kind of transformation of the work that you're producing, and it is partly the result of a critique in, a, in an in-person group that you were a part of. And so it has involved you sometimes going back and finding an old canvas that you did and suddenly reworking it sometimes very aggressively. And do you think that's part of the learning process for you is, so instead of discarding old work, mm -hmm. going back and doing something completely different to it that you never would have thought of before? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what Karn and Ellen were both talking about, about not gessoing something over and understanding that you can rescue something is that, and also about, how you grow because it's not that I didn't like that work when I finished it. Oftentimes when I finished that work, I was enormously proud of it and I thought it was fantastic, but I've, I've grown, I've changed. My taste has changed. My understanding, my level of sophistication, my skills, my, all that stuff has grown and changed. So when I look at work from a lot of stuff I've been going through is work from 2016 right now, <laughs> I'm sort of plunging through a pile of canvases from then. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, eight years ago. And I would hope, I would hope that I have grown in those eight years that I have changed in those eight years. And so I find it enormously uh, cathartic to be able to take something of who I was and link it, connect it to something of who I am now, because I'm still the same person. I'm just sort of a different version of me. I think a lot of my work in general is about connecting disparate objects, disparate shapes, disparate colors, disparate patterns. And because I'm so interested in those kind of connections, it is a temptation too great to be ignored, to be able to connect old me with new me in a single work of art. And I have felt that the pieces that I've done on top of old work are richer somehow, fuller. And um, probably it's because they're built on something that was already complicated and interesting. And now I understand like how to push it further. Yes, that's my very long answer to your very short question. So the other two of you, do you go back and rework old art or not? Yes. Ellen is a crazy reworker. We have, we have seen work that has gone through 101 iterations sometimes. It's amazing. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if I've done it quite as much. Not yet. I probably will one day, but uh, I'm still forging ahead with new stuff. I don't have as much history on the art as other people. Well, I will say like a lot of times the work that I'm interested in reworking is work that I did on big canvases, which seem like a waste 
to just let sit there. Do you know what I mean? Whereas work on paper, I'm much more likely to slip into a sketchbook and let it go into the archives. Cause I do think there's a great benefit in sort of seeing who you were and keeping a record of that so that you know how far you've come. I mean, even when we, I was putting up the slides uh, of your work, you guys, and I, I'd encourage everybody to go and see that work on the show page, you know, I can see the different periods that you each have been in, you know, as you've worked through different ideas, different concepts, different senses of yourself, you know, different senses of what you were going for, like all that kind of stuff. And that's, I think that's exciting to have that record of those changes. Yeah. Um, so we have been talking for more than an hour. So I'm going to wrap this wow. up. I know. Well, I know. you've got two additional people. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so I want to just end with uh, a quick quote. Uh, quote from artist Chuck Close. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. If you wait around for the clouds to part and a bolt of lightning to strike you in the brain, you are not going to make an awful lot of work. All the best ideas come out of the process. They come out of the work itself. So uh, I'm inviting all of you to Design Bootcamp. Let's do the work together. No more fumbling around. No more fear. Because after Design Bootcamp, you will know the answers to these common questions, just like Karen and Ellen do. Is this finished? How do I fix this? What's my style? What should I do next? Is this good or is this bad? How do I get out of this rut? Uh, like they said too, Design Bootcamp gives you a thorough understanding of the design elements and principles in order to help you confidently make better arc, art. You can uh, embark on your own transformative journey. You can claim your spot at juliebalzer.com. You can gain the knowledge you need to feel confident in your art making endeavors. You can also find Karen on Instagram as Karen 55 Hall. So that's K-A-R-E-N 55, the numbers, H-A-L-L. Ellen can be found on Instagram at Ellen Goodlow, E-L-L-E-N-G-O-O-D-L-O-E. -L -L -E. Her website is ellengoodlow.com. And Ellen, you give me my email. You give me your email. Do you want me to say that out loud? I wasn't sure. sure. Okay, you can email Ellen your fan mail directly to her at ellenaskgoodlow.com. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Mom, as always, for your insightful questions. Uh, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or all over social media as at Balzer Designs. I hope you'll sign up for the free Friday newsletter. That's the best way to make sure you keep up on the latest news. There's a big button on the homepage of juliebalzer.com where you can do that, or you can go to the show page for this podcast to find the link. So before we sign off, ladies, is there anything else that anybody feels the burning desire to shout out? I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. I was quite shocked to receive your email, actually. Oh, I'm delighted, Karen. Uh, and if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review, mention us on social media, or tell a friend all about it, because all those things help other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.